Welcome to Handmaids and Harless, a weekly podcast that explores both the Handmaid's Tale and Harlots series produced by Hulu. This podcast is marked as heavy spoilers, as it will include episode-by-episode synopsis, as well as analysis of both shows and their written source material. The textual references for this podcast are The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, interviews, essays, analysis, and other available materials regarding Miss Atwood's book and forthcoming second installment, Testaments. Textual references for all Harlots-related podcasts will be taken from Hallie Rubinold's book, The Covent Garden Ladies, Pimp, General Jack, and the Extraordinary Story of Harris's Lists, as well as interviews, essays, analysis, and other available materials regarding Harlots by Hulu. Join me, Ray, and my co-host, Kay, as we watch, read, and discuss these two provocative and intelligent stories. The episode begins with a hanging. Three are ushered onto the gallows. What appears to be two Akano people and perhaps an eye are then noosed before an audience of handmaids while Aunt Lydia gives them a pep talk explaining how they were becoming an instrument of God. As the camera pans along their faces, June's expression is set in grim determination, while Janine and her one-eyed gaze skitters about the crowd around her and those before her uncertain and disturbed. As we hear the last complaint of the body-laden ropes, June drops her handle upon them and stalks off brushing past off Matthew, telling her it's time to go. As they walk back to their home, off Matthew and June argue about the necessity for such executions. And in the midst of this argument, off Matthew is halted by what might be Braxton Hicks contractions or real ones. It's hard to tell. June stops and talks her through it, helping her to breathe and get past the pain so that they can continue on their path home. Matthew confides to June that this pregnancy is not like the others, that this one is far more difficult. In a like offering, June tells off Matthew that early on in her pregnancy with Nicole, she had thoughts that she would be ashamed of now. And recoiling, possibly defensively, but most certainly in offense, Matthew suggests she has no such thoughts. And just when June had thought Aff Matthew might be someone to relate to, she has her hopes dashed. Next they enter Loaves and Fishes, and June does her best to lose off Matthew in the uncrowded aisles, hoping, I am guessing, to run into Alma or someone else that she can get information from or trade information with. And as one expects, she runs into Alma and Janine and a few of our other more familiar-faced handmates. A diversion is created by all of them to send off Matthew off to look at avocados while Alma walks June around the corner and points out the Mackenzie's 
Martha standing in front of the cooler. June approaches the Martha and through a series of continual naggings, she manages to wheedle out of her a time and a place and the name of a guard at Hannah's school where June might be able to see Hannah. But it was a poorly chosen moment for off Matthew stands off to the side and we see her observing this conversation. Our point of view shifts to Emily and her wife in Canada. They are being interviewed by one of the Swiss dignitaries. Many uncomfortable questions are brought up to Emily, some of which the information to answer has not been shared yet with her wife. Sylvia does a little interrogating of her own, asking the Swiss envoy what any of this has to do with protecting Holly Nicole. The answer is that Gilead has given information to the Swiss to suggest that Emily is a criminal. Sylvia defends her against this, arguing that what she had to do in Gilead she did for survival. The Swiss seem to understand that, but say they have to ask the question anyway. After the interview is concluded, Sylvia and Emily have an exchange in which Sylvia offers to be an ear for Emily, telling her that it doesn't matter what happened in Gilead and that she doesn't judge her for the things that she had to do. But Emily suggests that she's fine, puts on her coat, and leaves. As our POV switches once more, we are with Serena Joy and Mrs. Winslow as they walk around the crowded cul-de-sac in which the Winslow house exists. It is here that Mrs. Winslow shows Serena a home left empty since the uprising. It is still filled with the memorabilia and the clothing and the personal belongings of the family who once lived there and we must now assume have been quote-unquote salvaged. In this conversation, Mrs. Winslow suggests that it might be best for Serena and Fred to move to D.C., but Serena seems unconvinced. There is both a mixture of whimsical interest and also concern and upset on Serena's face as she is confronted with the very real remnants of people who once lived in this house who one can assume are no longer here or alive. Still in D.C., but this time with Commander Winslow and Fred as they descend a staircase in what looks to be an official building. The conversation is very much about Winslow stroking Fred's ego over the genius of his press campaign in order to get Holly Nicole back. However, at the end of the exchange, he suggests when he leans into Fred, gripping his arm in a very companionable way, that it would be best for all concerned if Holly Nicole remained in Canada, at least for now, while the sons of Jacob and Gilead used the situation for diplomatic ends. In the next set of scenes, June returns to the Lawrence home, frantic to go and find Hannah at her school. Hatching a plan to use Mrs. Lawrence as a shield, she engages Mrs. Lawrence and the two of them leave for the long walk to Brookline. Along their way, they meet Naomi. The exchange with Naomi leaves Mrs. Lawrence rattled, but June presses on. The two stop at some point and discuss why the Lawrences don't have children, and June confides in Mrs. Lawrence as to why they are going to Brookline why they're on the walk. And Mrs. Lawrence agrees to go, saying she's ready for an adventure. Point of view changes again, and we return to Canada, where Moira and Emily are seated in a coffee shop having a conversation. They're talking about their return experiences, and some about what Emily has gone through with this interview with the Swiss. 
At the end of the conversation, Moira says she has to go because she has a demonstration she needs to attend. And Emily asks if she can go with. When next we see Emily and Moira, they are outside an office building in Canada. They are hunting down this minister. They find him along with other protesters and engage him. The two of them become increasingly angry, Emily increasingly violent, until both women are held back by guards and we hear sirens. Changing points of view, we return to Mrs. Lawrence and June as they make their way to the school in Brookline. As they arrive, they are notified that the guard, the Mackenzie's Martha, suggested they speak to is not on duty today, and that in either case, they're not getting in. Mrs. Lawrence improvises and says that she was promised a tour, and the response from the school officials is to let her in, but June is barred from entry. June runs the perimeter of the school, bemoaning the fact that the suspense is so high she cannot see Hannah, though she does hear her laughing with the other children on the playground. In midst of this, she is called back to the front of the school. Mrs. Lawrence, once inside, demanded to see the children, was refused, and has something of a breakdown. June then takes her in hand and helps her to get home. When they return home, Mrs. Lawrence is racked with guilt over having had a mini breakdown, and as she sees it, denying June the opportunity opportunity to see Hannah. Surprisingly enough, at the moment, Commander Lawrence has not made June pay for this outrage. However, he seems clearly upset and concerned for Eleanor. Our point of view changes again as Serena arrives at some destination in D.C. It's a very posh. It looks like it must be a dinner club or a club of some kind. She is ushered into a dining room where Fred sits waiting. They exchange pleasantries, talk about how she'd spent the day, which she must have gone to some galleries, and now they're talking about what is to come. Fred suggests that he has every intention of getting Holly Nicole back, despite the fact that we know that he's been asked to stall. In juxtaposition to the posh surroundings, the scene switches to Moira and Emily in jail. It is here the two have a bit of a jailhouse confession discussing their kill count in Gilead. It is not quite so dark as that, but at the same time it is an interesting opportunity for the two of them to share their stories and for Emily to have something with someone she cannot have with Sylvia, which is true empathy and understanding of her circumstances in Gilead. We return then to DC and Fred and Serena walking down a hallway at this gala that they've attended. On their way to the ballroom, they are caught by Commander Winslow, who drags Fred off to talk about guy things while Serena is left to go to the ballroom and stand with Commander Winslow's wife and her friends and discuss those things that wives in Gilead's discuss. From across the room, Serena spies Fred, and the two come together for a dance amongst the DC elite, to which the DC elite clear the dance floor and allow them to spin and twirl clapping as they come together in what appears to be more ways than one. And while Fred and Serena dance in romance in D.C., the handmaids have been collected once more for another hanging. As they take their places along the ropes, Alma pulls aside June
Catherine and tells her that the Mackenzies are gone. The girls take their formation. Aunt Lydia begins to read the charges against a group of individuals who are marched on to the gallows. Among them is the Mackenzie's Martha. The charges are endangerment of a child, to which June knows now she participated. Forced to participate in the hanging of the Martha who had aided her, June is furious. June lingers alone for a moment in front of the gallows, pondering the consequences of her actions, and then turns off and muscles her way through the crowd of handmaids headed back home. As she passes off Matthew, off Matthew offhandedly says to her that she should be thankful. And from that remark, a confrontation ensues between June and off Matthew. June snaps, taking off her wings and driving off Matthew into a wall where she tries to choke her and screams at her, while the others flank them so that they can shield them from the eyes. But in the end, the handmaids pull June off of off Matthew, asking her to stop while June has an understandable moment of insanity. This is Handmaids and Harlots, and I am one host, Ray. <laughs> and this is Kay. And we're here to talk about the latest episode of The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. Under his eye. Yes. So the temptation is strong, kids, to do things we shouldn't. But we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna stick with the themes this week. And we identified three themes. One of which we will not name until later. But the first two themes tend to go together with each other pretty well. And that is secrets and consequences. I think we should start with secrets. Secrets? Let's start with secrets. Let's start with secrets. So in this episode, we see several indications of the importance of secrets and keeping them secret. June. We're looking at you, June. And Fred. But we'll get to that. But we'll get to that. We start out at first... In Loaves and Fishes, of course, with June and her budding little network of subversive handmaids, where it seems our poor one-eyed Janine has been roped into this. I'm not entirely sure this was a good idea, is a good idea, or will play out well for Janine at the end, but... I don't know. Maybe they don't. Maybe she doesn't know. Like they're they're trying to face this as like it's a game or something. I don't. I don't know what is in these girls' heads other than they're desperate. Which I, well, I understand desperation. I also know that in Sobibor, which was a concentration camp held by the Germans in Poland, which was used for the extermination of Polish Jews, Ukrainians, and Russian POW Jews. They managed to complete a, con- a, rev- a revolt against their Nazi captors and escape while being watched and informed on because they were able to not be obvious. Desperation, I would suggest, was a part of that mix, but they managed it. They did. I don't know about these handmaids. You got to work with what you got, I'm assuming. Sweet Jesus. So. Alma's not good at, uh, what is it? Subtlety. What is she called? She's not good at it. Yeah. She's sassy, though, and I'll, I'll give her points for that. I like her, but she, it's clear to me now that she lives in a really permissive house. So it doesn't actually, like, actually moving in this world with any modicum of circumspection is just beyond her. So, like, we see those guys in Lows and Fishes, and they run a almost like a high school sitcom runaround around off Matthew. Mm-hmm. Which, for all of the obvious reasons, fails. I mean, honestly, how long do they think they can hold her with avocados? 
Really? And then that they just let her go at some point because I didn't see anybody standing there next to her while she was watching over June's shoulder while June got herself in deep shit. And I mean, June didn't wait when she came in either. She just shot right past. It was like, no, no, no. Do some shopping. Get a Matthew off your freaking case. She was so not circumspect and in, and so not working in any kind of way that's intelligent. Mm-hmm. And since we can go back to the episode in which she has this conversation is given the folders by her commander that he was trying to get her to start thinking. Like start planning ahead. Start using what's between your ears. And if you're going to do this, there are real consequences to this. She's already got one Martha killed. Oh, yeah. Got one Martha killed, got one sent away. Granted, Cora got sent away because of lying, but she wouldn't have lied without June. Right. That whole situation would not have evolved the way it did if June had not been involved in it. I mean, and there would have been one lie at least, but. So she's already got, we know for sure, one Martha killed. And she's gotten another one or possibly gotten another one sent away. Not to mention getting, and have we all forgotten in her escape, getting an Econo family killed. Mm-hmm. So, like, she doesn't... <clears throat> well, I mean, they got the dad killed, but she also got another woman sent as a handmaid. Yeah. And a child given to somebody else. Somebody else's child taken away from them and handed off. Which, I mean, at the very least, she was trying with the earlier seasons, but I think she's just getting so pressured here that she can't remember that secrets have to be secrets. I think she has allowed her panic and desperation to overtake her senses. And that was the entire point of of everything that Lawrence said to her. Mm-hmm. Is that she, and what he says to the commanders, right? Before she comes in when she's pouring wine in that episode, he says that about women's emotionality and their inability to make good decisions. He, at every point, has tried to say to June that she is letting her emotions get the better of her and she is not using her head. And this episode, she absolutely goes like, she just jumps off the fucking bridge and is stupid. I'm sorry, I already... But, I mean, we haven't seen her use her head in so many episodes, and it's getting to the point where I think she's just trying to get out as fast as possible. But this stuff takes time. You can't just push the undergrounds to to move faster than they're able to. You can't push the Marthas that you don't know to to do things that are beyond their ability of scope. You can't push all all these handmaids to put themselves in danger so you can have a full-on conversation without even trying to look you're doing anything. I mean, you look at the scene there with her crossing over and over and over again. Stay at one spot and spend a little time. Put some stuff into your freaking basket. Then move on. Don't look like you're playing freaking, what is it? Uh, leapfrog with a Martha in a in a uh, kitchen area. You think that's not going to get noticed? Right. You've got aunts and guardians everywhere. And she's been told several times that what she does at Loaves and Fishes is getting reported to Aunt Lydia. She's known this. Mm-hmm. It's not that hard to just take a moment and think. Let the Martha get further away. Let that moment pass a little bit and then catch up to her. It was just... She's she's panicking. 
And it's, she's not taking the opportunity that Lawrence offered her, which was to learn. She, she's, she's just thinking that the longer that Hannah is away, the longer she's going to get used to her captors, which honestly happens. And if she helps take down Gilead, yeah, she can get her kid back. And yeah, it's going to take some therapy. It's going to, there are probably going to be things that she'll never forget. And there are things that are going to probably scar her. But what's going to scar her worse is seeing her mother killed in front of her because she can't take the time to learn how to work these undergrounds and to do anything. Yeah, she's not planning. And it just bodes poorly for what happens when she gets her hands on Hannah. She has no exit strategy. She doesn't. She doesn't have Lawrence to lean on. Well, not anymore. Yeah, not not anymore. So this conversation then that she forces on, this observed conversation she forces on the Martha. Mm-hmm. In it, she offers escape. Which is stupid. Now, she hasn't bothered to talk to Lawrence about this. Mm-mm. She, one time, he was willing to help her. And even her then, he felt kind of shuffled. Yes. And at that point, we don't know. We still don't know. Nobody actually knows who called the eyes on June at the Mackenzie house. Mm-hmm. For all we know, he did. You know, covering his ass. Yup. For all we know, he did. So. Or the Martha is, did. Or the Martha did. And so we assume, she assumes rather, that she's got an out. She may not have an out. Mm-mm. But she offers that to this Martha, an out. And then she leaves and gets into this conversation with off Matthew. She's gotten very lax, considering the fact that Off Matthew is clearly devout. Clearly a, a true believer. Despite the inconvenience and the inhumanity of her circumstances and situation, June assumes that she's safe to talk to about any of this. All of June's caution and all of her guile from earlier seasons are gone. It's like somebody reached in and plucked it right out of her head. I mean, this is, you've got where she's come back from DC and you see the veils getting onto handmaids. Do we know if there's rings on there on these uh, handmaids? No, we have no idea. This could be just starting by putting the veils over their mouths. But you think that somebody who is as, devout sounding as of Matthew is the person to be snapping off at. Right. And you see clear, clear evidence of where things are headed. So instead of become more circumspect and take more time to plan to make sure that your plan is a success when you get where you need to be, you instead just run off half cocked and do stupid shit. So Mm -hmm. she doesn't have any respect for herself. She doesn't have any respect for anyone she's dealing with at present. And she's not what I would consider a good risk for secrets. Mm-mm. Clearly not right now. So, right. So she has this confrontation, the first confrontation with off Matthew and is instead of understanding that she just made a grave error and it might be in her best interest to figure out a way to fix that with her and off Matthew, she does the eye roll and the hair blow Mm -hmm. the equivalent of the, you know, 11 year old girl, you know, eye roll hair blow. I mean, you've, you got here. It's like, you could bond over the whole childhood thing. 
the way she's doing it, she should have read of Matthew's body language. Of Matthew is not talking about having issues with her mental stuff. So don't bring up mental things with her. You know, she's not having feelings of, I'm going to make the assumption of, you know, miscarriage or even trying to attempt abortion or whatever. Right. Don't bring it up. She's not going to, she's multiple times mentioned that she believes children are miracles. Just roll with it. Off Matthew is trying to talk about her fear that she's going to miscarry Mm -hmm. and that she has an impending sense of doom about this pregnancy. And instead of being empathetic to that, June's like, let me tell you my story. The only way she should have told her version of a story is when she had that bleed out in the second season. Yeah. That would have been a great way to to bond in some way to of Matthew. Yeah, but she fails at this. And I think her base- I think her mm-hmm. anger at of Matthew is causing issues with any kind of connection with her she can't try and then knowing that she can't and understanding that there is a failure to connect between her and off matthew or relying too heavily on the slight connection she's been able to manipulate she then assumes that somehow that off matthew is safe for her to act any kind of way in front of and that that's not going to have consequences which is just i am kind of like well really So this is like the first set of secrets we get, right? June arranging this clandestine meeting at Lowe's and Fishes for as clandestine as that can be with all the eyes and the cameras and everything else all over the place. I don't think they have cameras, but at the very least you got eyes and, well, you've got Martha's there too, who could turn you in. You've got aunts and guardians everywhere. I think there are cameras in it too, but that's just me. So they have this whole thing, this room, this building is covered because it is the one place everybody comes together that needs to be uh, monitored. Otherwise, there wouldn't be eyes everywhere in it while they're there. It's like they're watching for this stuff. And things have been getting progressively more dangerous in this district. There's been more and more stuff going on, mostly surrounding June. Her assumption at this point that she is bulletproof is really getting stretched i mean and then like we said we see the veils we get mentions of more hangings yep so then we move from that set of secrets right to Mm -hmm. emily's set of secrets which again every time they bring up her crimes i keep forgetting every crime she's ever done so here she is with her wife and the swiss diplomat and the swiss diplomat is asking her questions about the things that she's done and her wife she has not confided in, clearly, all of these things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got to be hard to try and be like, yeah, when I was trying to escape, I ran over a man. I popped his head like a dandelion. Right? And Sylvia clearly doesn't care. No, or, she wants to support her. Or at least at this point thinks she doesn't care. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's she understands not... about the, the need to escape. Right. And it's not... But it's also not unusual for family members who find out what their family, other family members of PTSD have gone through to be disgusted and mm-hmm. to be shocked and have some problems with the discontinuity between the person that they know and love and the person that was created in these stress situations in order to survive them. Right. Which in so, that same vein, Emily has got to, got to talk to sylvia about the relationship with the martha 
it's going to come out. It is eventually going to come out. And it is also the rest of it. You know, it Emily is racked by guilt, which mm-hmm. is, I think, a big reason why she's having a hard time engaging with other people is that while we may have forgotten all the crimes that she's committed, she has not. And in any other circumstances outside of Gilead, Emily would have never hurt anyone. No. And so this is weighing on her terribly. And she feels the judgment of Gilead because wherever you go, there it is. Inside, inside of you. right? It's always inside of you. She still feels it. So she's not wanting to talk about these things, but Gilead is going to use them against her. Absolutely. And it's just going to get to the point that she needs to go to a therapist for herself and for her marriage because yeah, it's awkward, but you got to do it because when she finds out, is she going to be more hurt that you had a relationship to survive or is she going to be more hurt that you felt you couldn't say anything? Right. That you couldn't talk about it. Honestly, it's, it's a survival instinct, just like June had to have a survival relationship. Yes. I'm thinking that probably every handmaiden has had some sort of, if not a physical relationship, an emotional relationship with someone to keep going. Yes. And so, you know, Emily at some point has to like let that go. She has got to share these things with Sylvia. Which I'm not saying it's easy. No, I'm not either. Maybe her talking to Moira about it will help her unclog that. Mm -hmm. But that's another situation where we have two women who are keeping those two secrets, at least those two, because they've been in similar circumstances. Emily is able to talk about it with Moira at least. Can I make a, uh, can I put some coins out on a bet? You think that Moira and Emily are going to end up together? Yes, I do. Well, I'm not going to run to ship them quite yet. Oh, I'm not trying to ship them, but I feel like because of their combined, you know, combined PTSD and their issues, I feel like they're going to feel like that that's the only person who's going to get them. Well, and that may be. What I would love to see, and because it is a missing component, and you've mentioned it in several consecutive episodes about Emily's story in particular, despite the fact of seeing lots of other really good care for Emily coming out of the Canadian situation, not once have we seen her enter a counselor's office. Mm -hmm. And she needs to. But what might be good is to see her and Moira start a support group. Even if it's just the two of them. Because group therapy, maybe singular therapy can't work for for Emily. But group therapy could be a great thing to work for her. She needs to find ways to deal with yes, to deal with a lot of things from Gilead. And that's something that they got to push there is, yeah, there's a whole different set of ways to deal with PTSD. Meditation, you know, mindful thoughts, pressure therapy, medications, singular therapy, group therapy, but you need to do something or it's going right. to eat you alive. Right. And these, it'll help her engage these secrets, that other Emily that she needs to integrate into who she is so that she can be whole. Because mm-hmm. right now she's shattered into a bunch of pieces and she that's, you know, the existential agony she's in, what's causing all this anxiety and the rest of it for her is that she feels like a different person. She's been this other Emily in Gilead for however long that did all these other things. And it's not congruent with how her son sees her as a superhero. And she certainly doesn't feel like one. And not how her wife sees her as a victim entirely. Mm -hmm. Emily, you know, 
when she could exerted what power she had, even if it was desperate, unfortunate, ugly, violent power. She she had her moments, right? Or she was pushed too far. There is the payload on Emily's secrets that eventually, if she wants to get herself together, she's going to have to take control of that narrative and she's going to have to talk to somebody about it all. It has to happen. Otherwise, it's just, yeah, it's going to fall apart. Yep. Secrets kept are as dangerous as the ones that, and it's interesting how it's juxtaposed too, because Emily's secrets being kept are just as dangerous to Emily on an emotional level as June's secrets she can't seem to keep are dangerous to her on a physical level. Absolutely. So we have these secrets. And then we have one other set of secrets that's kind of important. And that is the relationship as we see it currently between Fred and Commander Winslow. <laughs> just again he is asserting his dominance yes with, with, with fred. fred but what is going on with fred how is fred internalizing this like i can't he was very politic in his response to serena and she put it she had it right on the nose she's already proven to him that she's smarter than most people because she knew right away that she assumed somebody had already told Fred that it would be best to leave Holly Nicole in Canada because it's a political wedge issue. It's a, it is a bargaining chip and a way to force Canada into an extradition treaty, not just a simple handing over of one child. And, you know, you, you see that for Emily and all of them when the bird dog, is that what, what yeah. it was called? The secretary minister that they're saying you're not keeping the refugee safe. You know, you hand over this kid. It is a, it's a slippery slope to just returning all of the refugees to Gilead because of crimes that they had done to get out to the crimes that Gilead supposes, like the gender traitorism. They can try to put anything on these people because there's very little proof that they can do other than saying yes, no. There is no, Emily didn't try to explain herself. She just yesed. There was no, I was trying to escape. The guardian was in front of me. If I went back, I was going to hit more people. If I went forward, I killed a man. Right. There was no, I stabbed my superior because I've spent years being ritualistically raped and she was just kind of insinuating it was still going to continue. There was no no explanations to herself. She just answered yes, no. Yeah, but like it's just ridiculous, right? So I'm wondering like what is Fred's angle with is he telling Serena the truth? Maybe he's seeing if he can lie for just long enough to keep both sides happy. Because See, he, I, I think he's scared of George. Well, I would guess he is. He should be. Although George keeps kissing his ego and kissing it with tongue. Yeah. But the question is, you know, here's Serena had already figured it out. Like, and he denies it sort of in a, in the most political way. Well, you know, he's really good at patronizing. He used to patronize his shit out of Offred. Mm -hmm. So like... He's patronizing Serena, and because of her situation right now, she I don't think she gets that she's being patronized. I think she's just so caught up in the idea that she can have everything she wanted. She can have Fred, no handmaid, a bunch of children, you know, that she's yeah. kind of falling into this idea that everything will be okay. But does she get Fred with without a handmaid? She She might. I don't know. And a bunch of children? I don't see that happening. Probably not unless they try it for themselves. This is this is the thing. Is but or is he flim flamming that commander? I don't know. I think he's too scared. 
he's scared more of George and what he could do to him. Like, screw it. Yeah, Serena goes back to live with her mom and he's a little embarrassed that he can't keep his wife in check. In comparison to he insults a high commander who could possibly insinuate a lot of crap. He'll swing. He could have to end up going back over to Boston. So, yeah, I don't know what which game Fred's playing and I don't think we're going to know. Which game, I don't think he knows. Game Fred's playing. I don't know that he knows either. I think it all depends. I think it's going to somewhat depend on whether or not Serena takes him home and puts him to bed after this dance. Which, again, historically I giggled because of the two the two dances they chose. Right. The waltz because it was considered risque originally because of the touching and closeness between partners. And then the tango. Which is definitely sexual. Right. So, and then the response of the crowd, everybody backs up and lets them, like, look at them do the dance. And there's so much layer to that. It's like, are they observing these two because they're drawing them into DC politics? Like, what is it, the big, like, the macro picture? Is the macro yeah. picture that everyone's eyes are on Fred and Serena as they learn to dance in this new this new melu, right? This new social circumstance they find themselves in. Which, speaking of secrets, is it just me or well, probably not just me, but are the wives indicating that either they're having relations with a guardian or that they're just watching peacocks? I think they are. There is a suggestion that some of them are finding sexual gratification outside of their marriage. Could do. Which, of course, we know because the girl that the woman that Emily kills, the wife, that's what she got busted for. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if she just didn't have... I'm just wondering if she didn't have enough protection to to keep from, you know, maybe because she said to her husband that, you know, oh, I love him. That's why she got to go to the colonies rather than being just told, bad girl, don't do it again. And maybe none of these women are getting told that anyway. True that. That might be, there's a whole little knot of that to unpack, I think. But it's interesting, isn't it? How Mm -hmm. that's like this other side secret that DC is full of secrets. That they got their own version of Jezebels, <laughs> even if it's hens. just guardians. For the roosters and the hens, mm-hmm. more than likely. So there's a very interesting bit of information there. But I think it's going to be interesting to see what Fred does with this. Because, honestly, he's kind of boned no matter what. The other part of it is if Serena does, if, if he betrays her badly enough, She's proven that she'll just go off on her own. What's to keep her from leaving him? Leaving him. Gilead laws? Mm-hmm. Except for them when she gets arrested and she tells him all the, tells them everything Fred did then what? Mm-hmm. Fred's in a very precarious position between advancing his career and keeping Serena happy. And he needs to keep her happy. He does. He does. He needs to keep her happy. She's too complicit. She knows too much. Yep. There's secrets he has to protect with Serena as well. Their secrets, which have far-reaching effects for them. And probably others. Probably. Possibly could be a new handmaid being brought in. There's a whole lot of secret going on. And I don't know that the Lawrence, Mrs. Lawrence's conversation with June is terribly secret. No, no, I don't think so. But it does eliminate our suspicions that they lost a child in the war. Yeah. That, thank goodness, I guess. Right. But, but I what still feel terrible it? for Yeah, Yeah, I do too. I do too. I want to know more. I do, a little bit. But now we know that that's not the thing. And that he still doesn't want her to have children. 
he doesn't want to have children. Think it's due to mental problems, like the mental health. That I be- think I think genetically that was originally his intention is that he loved her, but he could not. He didn't want to take that risk mm-hmm. that because bipolar is genetic. Yeah, and he didn't want to take that risk, and didn't want to put the undue stress of her being a mother mm-hmm. on her either. Yes, which I have to say, I love Eleanor. She has no filter. <laughs> She's pretty sweet. Just the high button. Oh, we're so happy you didn't die. And it's like, oh my God, Eleanor. That was so hilarious. And then that look on Naomi Putnam's face was glorious. That just, what do I even say to this? But that was another place too where June wasn't circumspect enough. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever sees Mrs. Lawrence out and about. And Naomi was definitely giving that situation the eye. Especially when they left. You you saw her look back like, what to the ever living? Especially because June was essentially giving orders to Eleanor. Like, shouldn't we get going? And that touch of the hand on the back. And it's like, no, June, (laughs) turn around and take her home. Yep. That was really, really, really poorly thought out. This isn't like Serena where you guys could go take a walk and no one blinks twice. This is a commander who doesn't come out. This is a wife who doesn't come out. And has displayed that she's not entirely with it. Yeah. So it's a it's it was bad. That is another bad. Like I don't know how many signs she needed to turn around and go home, but she missed them all. Blatantly ignored them. Well, she blatantly yeah. Right? Blatantly ignored is better. That's secrets. That was pretty easy. The other one, correct me if I'm wrong, is consequences. No, you're quite right. I mean, if you look even at Eleanor and the first thing of being Eleanor and June, the consequence is Eleanor broke down. She did. She tried so hard to do what she could to help June because June seemed to try to connect with her and tried to do nice things for her. Yes. And she broke down because she couldn't do what June wanted. Yeah, she knew that June wanted to see her daughter and she tried to get to the children and they denied even her. And in being told no, she lost, you know what I mean? She had no other way around it. And then she just felt like she had failed June. Mm -hmm. So the consequence for that is being one, Eleanor broke down. Two, Joseph ever lovingly wants to probably throttle (laughs) throttle June. I thought it was really interesting that bringing up Eleanor after an incident causes him to rage out on her. But the fact that she takes her out and does all this to cause her to break down, he's just so pulled back in that he's just saying no. And that's all he says to her. Well, he doesn't tell Cora he's going to ship her out either. At least not that we see. Yeah. Yeah, he warned her. Don't hurt my wife. Don't Mm -hmm. ever lie to me. He doesn't have very many rules. But those are rules. And she fucked up. And we know what happened to Cora. I mean, we don't know what happened to Cora. Nobody does. That's the great mystery. But she's not there anymore, for sure. There's no Cora in the Lawrence house anymore. Nope. There's a Beth. So the consequences for June's misdeeds and manipulation of a mentally ill person in order to further her own ends ends with that mentally ill person being hurt, confused, publicly embarrassed, and a breakdown. Mm -hmm. None of which... That occurs to June is going to be a serious problem until she gets caught. And even then, I don't think that she really gives a shit that she's going to get caught. No, she well, she gives a shit because she knows Lawrence is going to be upset, but then she tries to mitigate it by making him feel bad because he doesn't take Eleanor out anywhere. 
I know. It's like, oh, she was so alive. No, she wasn't alive, Dagnabbit. She was scared. She didn't know what was going on. It, it, it's like, June, you're manipulating everybody. this woman. And it's not going to work for everybody. So I, I'm concerned for June because I think Lawrence is probably at his most dangerous when he's quiet. I wouldn't doubt it. And he doesn't even really acknowledge, at least not to her specifically, what she says about the alive comment, which is just manipulative as shit. As we already it is. Discussed. Yeah, because so she wasn't alive. Right. So there's the consequences for that. Right. And then we also see consequences again when Mrs. Winslow takes Serena to that house in that in their cul-de-sac that's not been remodeled in the Gilead way, hasn't been touched. And Serena is confronted right then with like very clear consequences of the things that she and Fred have been a part of. That family was clearly arrested. Or pushed out or tried to escape. Yeah. Because, I mean, if they had moved, like, emigrated to Canada, like, yeah. <laughs> they'd have taken their shit, right? But we don't Definitely see that. Definitely that Xbox. We don't see that, do we? No, we do not. And I saw some comments on Reddit that Serena didn't care. No, Serena was clearly moved by what she saw, but not enough. Like she was, she was like, what, uh, where'd they go? And... Olivia's just like, yeah, and Olivia's just like, Baptists? And that's the end of the conversation. Serena's face, however, is clearly, I mean, she's thinking about this. And not just thinking about, ooh, whether I want to live in D.C. She's thinking about the people. The places where her eye lingers is the places where the camera lingers. Mm -hmm. Like the broken glass on the floor. It's very intentional that we're to see what she sees in that house through what the camera sees in that house. And she mm -hmm. is not comfortable with it. When her and Fred moved into that house in Boston or Brookline or wherever it is that they live, mm -hmm. it was already fixed up. There was no evidence of the people before. This is something completely different. And it seems pretty clear that it's disturbing to her, but not disturbing enough. And it's, it, it's good to see her like kind of struggle with that and the consequences. Because mm -hmm. she's been trying really hard to distance herself from all consequences of what her and Fred have done by wrapping herself up in this idea that she's going to get her daughter back and then everything will be made right. Too true. It'll cover up for her moment of weakness, right? So there's those <sighs> consequences. And then there are the hangings, which are consequential. Oh, yeah. And the most important consequence in the hangings is the final scene. Of consequence. Once I saw that there was a Martha and a um, a guardian up there, after hearing that the guardian wasn't at the school, I'm like, they got caught. They did. They got caught, and they're going to hang. Though I kind of wish they talked about what happened, why the handmaids were up there. Right. They didn't get into that. You don't know if they're part of this whole relay of information, although Alma apparently didn't get nabbed. Maybe she's just so hidden. I don't know. Or her commander is, like I said, her place is lax and her commander's like, no, she wasn't even there. Or who knows? Or she was at home, gave her an alibi. Who knows why, how Alma managed to escape that if those handmaids had anything to do with this whole plot. And they might not have. It might have been another thing. We don't particularly know. And the show got kind of mm -hmm. sloppy here, I think. Just a smidge. It's 
definite consequences for June to see that. And that that woman is going to die because of her foolishness. Mm -hmm. And I see her do something that reminded me of Serena and I do not like at all. At first, she did not want to pick up that rope. And she knew that it was because she knew she had complicit. Yeah, she was the reason. And then she picks up that rope and she looks like she means it when she pulls it. And then she wouldn't let it go either. I wonder if that was just her guilt just coming in, just being like, I did this. I can't have the conviction of sending this woman to her death if I'm just going to haphazardly cover my ass. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm giving more thought to it. Or maybe you're giving June more credit. Personally, I saw it as a she was angry that that woman let her get caught. Mm -hmm. That that woman that woman got caught or that woman spoke and now her daughter is moved because Alma tells her that the family is gone. And she blames it instead of on herself. She blames it on the Martha. Mm -hmm. Because that's how I read that whole scene is that June was fucking mad that her harebrained scheme had ended up this way and blamed the Martha for the whole of it. <sighs> Which is why then when Matthew says, I saved you, June loses her shit. Which I, I loved that the handmaidens like circled around them. Yeah, I and love I that shield wall they put up, right? Because you're right across the way from a bunch of guardians, you idiot. Yes. And then, not only are you attacking another handmaid, you're attacking a pregnant handmaid. You want to yeah. hang up there, too? Yeah, that's a hanging offense. It's like, where is Hannah in that? And we can all make the argument, June's, like, beyond the point of reason now because she's so angry. But she's only angry and beyond the point of reason because she wasn't reasonable to begin with. Mm -hmm. When you put on the fucking donkey ears and the nose, don't be surprised if someone sticks a tail on your ass. Absolutely. What in the actual fuck? What a complete misread. This woman who's supposed to be so good with people. A complete misread of her walking partner. A complete misread of the situation. A complete overestimation of one's ability to get in and out of trouble. And this is probably the only time that I would, and I don't agree with people who are saying this, that like June has had so much plot armor that, you know, whatever. I think June does believe she's indestructible at this point. She has some kind of ridiculous survivor guilt thing that makes her believe that she's bulletproof. The survivor high? Yes. And that's the whole point. I She was supposed to go to Lawrence's and lay the fuck low. Mm -hmm. And learn something. You've got the underground literally in your friggin' house. And you couldn't learn anything beyond and here's another thing as much as serena has ever livingly turned june over over a barrel mm -hmm. why would you not think that she would tell the school that there's gonna be a handmaiden looking for her child oh right and that very well could have happened too and we don't know we don't know that serena didn't double that double back on that and get her in trouble mm -hmm. we have no idea that but I, it, it seems pretty clear that Op Matthew is the one that set that in motion. Mm -hmm. And that Aunt Lydia's been concerned about it since twice now June has gone out of her way and put herself in danger and other people in danger in order to see Hannah. It makes perfect sense to me that Lydia would say to her walking partner, you make sure that if she does anything out of the ordinary that you report it to me. It would make sense. And June just like doesn't seem to understand yet 
she had a better understanding of what she was dealing with in the first two seasons than she does this one. And I'm not going to take it that because she's emotionally overwrought, she is unstable and unable to make good decisions. Because I'm going to tell you all something. This is something that's in to me is super sexist to make that suggestion. Mm-hmm. Lots of women go through lots of fucking stuff that is would make anybody overwrought. And they still are capable of making intelligent decisions. It's an excuse. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to say that June doesn't deserve the ability to snap every once in a while. I mean, she did just become complicit in the hanging of another woman who tried to help or she was trying to help. Right. But just the same. This has been a pattern at least the last this whole season and started early or late last season of her not thinking through her decisions. We're not seeing her apply any smarts to this. And she did not use any of her noted people skills with off Matthew at all. Mm -hmm. It's almost like she couldn't be bothered because off Matthew was harder to deal with than someone else, than some of the others. She didn't really have a handle on her. No. Nor did she look for one. She very easily could have done the exact same thing Emily did most of the entire first season. Pretend to be a real believer. Yep. She could have gotten more info. She could have been less watched. Lay low and wait for the right opportunity. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't know. So her consequences is this. She has to participate in the hanging of that Martha, who she basically literally let her out to hang anyway. Mm-hmm. And then we have Emily and Moira's consequences for going to going to that demonstration, which is they both get put in jail. Mm-hmm. Now, we all are taken for granted they're in Canada and then, you know, blah, 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 and they're demonstrating. But we need to take one thing into consideration here. And I think it's important considering the political conversation that's going on between Canada and Gilead right now. And this ask for an extradition treaty. Mm-hmm. Getting yourself arrested at a protest is not the way to not be on the list to get extradited. Especially if they can say something like for Moira. She was at a center to serve for her sins or for her crimes, and she murdered a commander. I mean... Well, even just the Canadian government may look at her as a troublemaker. Mm Mm-hmm. She has an arrest record now. She's not just a refugee. She's not just that. She's a refugee with an arrest record now. She may be a liability to the Canadian government. These are all things that, in an extradition court, are going to come to light. They're not going to not put her Canadian arrest record on the table when she goes in front of a judge. Yeah. It's regular protesting. You have to, if you're in a situation of precarious situations, I'm not saying you shouldn't do protests. I'm not saying that you shouldn't press your, the leaders of your area. But if you're in a precarious situation, you need to find allies who aren't to press that hard. Yes. And I, I agree. They go to protest. Sure. Absolutely agree. You go to protest. But when it looks like it's getting so confrontational that the police are going to be called, you pick up your shit and you walk off. Mm -hmm. There are Canadian citizens there protesting 
who are in a far better and far safer situation to be there and protesting and soak up that getting arrested for civil disobedience or whatever than you are. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure there might be somebody who sits there and goes, you know, they they can't help. You know, you got to push for what you can. But if you're a refugee who they're talking about extraditing people back to Gilead, please don't put yourself in a sense of danger. Don't put yourself at risk. You're not helping anybody. Unless you're willing to suffer for the Go act. back to Gilead. Unless you're willing to go back to Gilead. I suppose if you're willing to go back there, then get right on it. I but- mean, I, you got to look at like the women's protests for, um, for uh, voting rights, for suffrage. These women sometimes died and suffered and were force fed and everything like that because they went to jail. They understood those risks. Yes. I, I'm worried if some of these refugees don't understand that. Yeah, they don't understand. Or they believe so faithfully that Canada's Canada. government is going to protect them. Because and here's another question is, where is Agent Tulo? Why isn't he getting them out of Canada? Mm-hmm. There is absolutely nothing to hold either Emily... Luke, Moira, or Holly in Canada legally. Mm-hmm. He could take them to Little Hawaii or to Little America or not Little America, but take them to Hawaii or Alaska on Amer- American soil. Maybe it's he's afraid that America can't protect them as well as Canada should be able to. Then where is he in all of this? No, no. Maybe he's in the back making deals, but until we see him in an episode, we have no, no idea. idea. And so this is like consequences. What are the consequences? We're seeing some action here that is going to pay fruit in consequence, either this season or next. We're getting Mm -hmm. down to the end of the season, right? We only have two more episodes left. Yeah. Yes. Ten episodes. Oh, no, we have like three. Oh, we have three. Okay. So three episodes left. And we still haven't gotten, they, they said there was going to be a major death. And so far, we still haven't seen a major death, unless they're trying to count that Martha. I don't think so. That's not a major death. She doesn't even actually have a name name that we know of. So, like, we're looking at some major possibilities here. Emily, Moira, June, Fred, Serena, or oh. Lydia. Oh, what if it's of Matthew? Well, she may die, but I don't know if that's going to count. Are they going to introduce her? Well, it's possible. I was just thinking because she is the walking partner and we have never seen June lose a walking partner without it being a big major deal. Well, I have a feeling that she may die anyway. True. And I have a feeling that's, well, we won't get into theories until we're done with all the themes, but we are moving into the final theme of that we decided we had and one that many Redditors will appreciate. Mm -hmm. June is stupid. So, so stupid. Well, or that people are stupid because there's some other stupid things that go on in this episode. But June is really stupid. I hate to say it. I hate to agree with Lawrence's determinism, but June isn't doing anything to alleviate his gen- his first snap judgment of her character. Mm-hmm. Not at all. And Serena is being stupid because she's believing anything that comes out of Fred's mouth. But it, 
June feels she's untouchable and it's becoming stupid. And I'm not saying that the writers don't know their character or anything like that. June has been under an immense amount of pressure. Shit tons of terrible things have happened to her, but she needs to focus on what the goal is, getting out of Gilead and getting Hannah with her. Right. She should have realized that it's not going to be a regular school for these kids. Yeah. Girls are a commodity, trading ships, fertility. They're not going to just let anybody see them. Right. And the other part of it is, and people can plot armor this, complain all they want to, but I can guarantee you June's not the one that, I, that dies at the end of this season. No. Why would you kill your main your main character? Elizabeth Moss is the face of this show. And mm -hmm. they have not really created anybody to take her place. And there's no other handmaid that we're, I mean, unless we're following Alma. I don't think so. So... Now what? June's going to survive this. Maybe but, she'll smarten up, but right now she's an idiot. But look at the consequences of her being really stupid mm -hmm. and Serena being really stupid. I'm waiting. It's, somebody's going to pay for all of this. There's going to be a, a reckoning. Oh, yeah. And maybe both of them are going to pay. And one of it might be that Fred actually does end up on the wall. Could be. It would not be surprising. If they turn this into a buddy show by making Serena and, and June walking partners in the next season, I think I might cry. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It's. I'm not going to say that I'm not going to watch the show. It's not taking turns a la, you know, Game of Thrones <laughs> on terrible writing. No. That's not at all what I'm saying. I, I want to see where this is going because they're not rushing themselves. No, they're not rushing themselves, but they, I think there's some sloppy story development, some sloppy plot development here that is unfortunate. Hopefully mm. this is a one-off. I know a lot of people are really upset with this episode. Other people mm. think it's the best episode. I have, I'm a, can I be of two minds about it? I think it's one of the best episodes, but I also think that there's some serious, there's plot holes big enough to drive a black van through. <laughs> I do. People in this these three main characters are all three being really stupid. June's being really stupid. Serena's being really stupid. And I fear or don't Fred is being really stupid. It's a big one. There are some people are taking crazy pills. They're losing themselves in the moment and missing the big game. And Fred thinks he's not, but he is because I have a feeling that that's, worm is going to turn on him mm -hmm. i have a feeling about that so that was our and we've already complained enough about june despite <laughs> having been on all of the other themes but people are stupid they are i'm just so disappointed in june's lack of consideration for either her situation or anyone else's she's like almost in some ways turned it has the same stupid tunnel vision as serena and maybe that's the point the uh writers are trying to get across is that june has become as myopic and tunnel visioned on Hannah as Serena has on Nicole. Nicole. Mm -hmm. Well, there you go. We just solved this. That's what this <laughs> is all about. And they're, I think maybe then that means that they're both going to really get a fucking bitch slap here right quick. Could quite be. OMG. What a mess. I mean, I'm still excited to see the next episode. <laughs> oh, I'm not not excited to see the rest of the show. I don't feel that way about it. This isn't, you know, this isn't that. This isn't the Dornish plot. Oh my God. Bad to say. We're not even going to go there, but we're, yeah. It's not, <laughs> it's not Game of Thrones level failure. It's just. Just season eight though. Just season I, eight. I just want to choke them. I want to choke everybody because it's just silly it is indeed silly oh i don't want to choke emily i just want emily to get a therapist mm -hmm. and lore and poor eleanor now in the people are stupid theme there's a few things that i noticed on reddit and some of you are going to be pleased because i've noticed you i want to make a shout out to apathetic quicksand who 
mentions the issue of the birth mother already surrendered her rights. And she talks about that whole confrontation there and Moira pushing the issue with that minister and discussing why he says that. And Emily, of course, coming across with the, what do you mean? She didn't surrender her rights. She sent me out of the country with this child, right? That whole thing that happens at the, at the protest. And then there's this conversation by Jidinya, Jidinya, or Jidinja. She mentions, or they mention also about that whole thing, and then brings up the question in this thread that why isn't there more work with the press on the part of Emily and Luke? And Moira, in particular, about the Holly issue. And as I mentioned, then there was one of the other commenters also said that as a recently graduated journalist in Canada, she can verify that they'd be on the sidewalk outside the buildings of where these people live, constantly asking for interviews. And it doesn't make sense that there's no attempt here, or doesn't seem to be any attempt to give a narrative counter Fred's and counter Gilead's by getting these guys' stories out. And someone also brings up the fact that Twello isn't there and he's Mm -hmm. not advocating for them, at least not in any way that we can see. I think that's a really interesting take and I think it's important because it's not just something that we picked up on it's something that a lot of people have picked up on about this show about this episode in particular and some of the plot holes that I mentioned earlier that you could drive a black band through and this is one of them we are led to believe that Moira and and Luke were smart enough to take those letters that Nick gave them and Mm -hmm. put them on the internet but they're not smart enough to be granting interviews and doing interviews about Holly Nicole so that they can gain some contract, some traction in the dialogue that's happening in Canada about this extradition treaty. And in particular about what constitutes rights of refugees and how that's going to be determined. Balancing what refugees' testimony is about their experience in Gilead against Gilead's armor of all these files about what these people have done in Gilead. Like, there's just, like, nothing happening here. I wonder if we're going to see more of that in the next episode. Like, I'm not sure. Well, I would think that they have to do something because this is literally a plot hole that you could drive a black van through or several black vans. Mm-hmm. Cause it doesn't make sense that they're not that we have two media savvy individuals take notes that were smuggled out and put them all over the internet, but they don't have it to get together to get like interviews and YouTubes and whatever, you know, going on to protect their situation. Now it's like, they've forgotten how the world works in the midst of all of this sort of like June except they don't have the same sort of pressure right now that June does. June's almost more forgivable than <laughs> this this big thing. So thank you very much 
for this post, Apathetic Quicksand, and for the other individuals who posted in it, because it's a really, a really good thread, I thought. I got to see it. It was pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. I think it hits on a lot of issues that a lot of us picked out of this episode pretty quickly, that things are sliding sideways. And I hope things, uh, you know, get covered soon. Yes. Yes, we got a, also got a message on Twitter from Elizabeth Lawson at Lawson Liz Lawson on Twitter, and she said that we should watch Big Little Lies. Oh, yes, I watched season one of Big Little Lies. I don't know if you did. It's really mm-hmm. good, but I don't think we're going to change this into <laughs> Harlot's Handmaids and Housewives. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe when we're all done with all of this stuff. I don't know. Maybe? I don't know. I don't know. But she was talking about how Big Little Lies does deals a lot with post-traumatic stress disorder as well. Mm-hmm. And that she would be interested, I guess, in um, what our thoughts were because they she feels they're handling it in a very good way in that show as well. I have not watched season two yet. I have a lot on my plate right now. So I'll have to put it in a queue. I will binge it up on the old HBO while <laughs> I wait for his dark materials. <laughs> oh, man. Because I won't be rewatching Game of Thrones. I know how it ends. <laughs> it was terrible. However, thank you, Liz, for your remarks. And when we get a chance, we will. But I don't expect we're going to start a new podcast for that or add that one to this one. But I will try to answer you on Twitter when I get that far. When we get that far. Because we are literally rolling. I think we may even have one week of overlap where we have to do a twofer podcast where we discuss the last episode of Handmaid's Tale and the first episode of Harlots. Mm-hmm. So it's gonna be glorious. We have a little bit to do before we get that far. Twitter was great this week. So much fun. Reddit, now that we can keep up with y'all and read stuff in real time, it's super awesome. I can look at spoilers. And I'm not saying that I completely agree with all the June hate. But I'm not saying I don't. <laughs> we're, we're on the mediums. Medium? We are. Yeah. We're median. We're, we're on the fence about this. June gets any more innocent people killed, on the other hand. I'm going to be right with Lauren Swelly. Digs a hole for her in the flower garden. <laughs> Uh, well, she's got a spot already. Yeah, right? Just dump her in on top of that poor Martha. More planting flowers. Oh, my God. So let's cross our fingers. It's one thing for me to have Serena go off and be stupid because I she married Fred. Need I say more? But June needs to get her shit together. That's all I'm saying. I, I I can't say that I don't, you know, 
I can't say that that's not right because honestly, you'd say that out of this is going to turn into a big Jim Morrison quote. <laughs> Maybe no one here gets out alive. No one. It just ends like how some people thought the Game of Thrones was going to end with just this graveyard. Yeah. 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 But I agree. For the people who are arguing that June needs to be dead, I got, I'm sorry, the plot armor will continue. Because mm-hmm. I don't see them killing her this season. No. I think she's going to lose somebody that shakes her shit. Let's hope it shakes her shit enough to get her straight. But she's going to lose somebody close. I think. Let's not hope it's Beth. <laughs> that chick didn't deserve that. She's got too much work to do. Yeah, I don't want to see Beth die. I don't want to see Rita die. <gasps> what if it's Alma? I don't, Alma's already got herself in trouble once, so... Mm, yeah. Could happen. Could happen. Janine. That would... Oh. Oh. No. You know... No. No, okay, not I just said the bad word. So we don't want to see Janine die, but maybe that's what all of Janine's very uncomfortable side eye at all of this confrontation and conflict might be. Uh, no. Janine doesn't deserve this. No, because Skilead's already <sighs> fucked her over seriously. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. It's not good. No bueno. Gurgle. We'll have to wait till next week to know for sure. But. <sighs> and maybe not even then. They may drag it out till episode 10 before we know where all of the birds are going to roost from this ugly little sordid affair. <laughs> mm-hmm. But until then. Blessed be the fight. Yeah. Blessed be the fight. And that's a wrap on another episode of Handmaids and Harlots, the podcast. We are indebted to EDM Mond for use of their song, Memories, Innocence of a Girl, available through Audio Library. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please smash your like button wherever you find us. Follow us on Twitter at HandmaidsH, where you can make comments, share news and thoughts, or email us directly at HandmaidsH nharlots at gmail.com and for essays by either myself or Kay check out and subscribe to our WordPress blog at handmaidsnharlots.wordpress.com until next time peace be with you